adults sing that song. Yeah, there's some adults that need to get up here and sing that song. Uh, go to John chat. All you got to do is drive in traffic in Denver. Calm down. You're going to get where you want to go eventually, you know. John chapter 6. Stand with me if you would. John chapter 6. And as I referenced in Sunday school, I, I don't know why this is, but the Lord has uh, recently just kind of bombarded my heart and mind uh, with messages on Sunday morning about discipleship and what it means to follow the Lord. John chapter 6, and we're going to start reading in verse number 52. One of the more uh, controversial passages uh, in the Bible in regards to interpretation, and I hope to clarify some of these things for you this morning. Uh, John chapter 6, look if you would at verse number 52. Uh, The Jews uh, therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now that just sounds gross, it sounds off, it sounds weird. And so those that were there at that time were kind of like, Man, I don't know if I, if I want to keep following the Lord. This is kind of getting a little weird. And, and so the Lord eventually clarifies the interpretation. Uh, but, but I'll just say this. When you depart from the Lord before you stick around long enough to hear his interpretation, you cut yourself short. And so a lot of these disciples did is exactly that. Look at verse number uh, 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. You ever come to church and hear a hard saying? This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? We live in a generation that's offended about everything. And uh, let me tell you something. If you don't go to church, if you go to church your entire life and you've never been offended, you're going to the wrong church. At some point, something that's said from the Word of God ought to bother you a little bit. And, uh, and, and clearly, the, the question is, how do you deal, how do you respond to that offense? It's not a matter of, by the way, I want to I just point out in the passage, the Lord does not take a poll after he asks the question to find out how he could change his ministry so nobody could get offended again. He asked the question of his disciples in particular. And it was necessary for him to do that because they're the ones that say, hey, Lord, we don't know about all the crowds and what they're going to do, but we're here to follow you. And so the Lord gets a little personal with his disciples, and he he ends up asking them a question later on I think it's important to pay attention to. But look, if you would, at verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are what? He's not talking about eating his body physically. He's not talking about being a cannibal. He's talking about spiritually taking the Lord into you. All right? Well, look, if you would, at verse uh, number 63, they are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given him unto, my, unto him of my father. Verse 66, I want you to see this. From that time, many of his disciples went where? 
Any direction that you go that is not with Jesus is backwards. They went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Uh, ever had a, you Sunday school teachers you, that have taught Sunday school, you ever had that kid that always has the answer? Right? And like, you could, halfway through your question, I know, I know. You know who that kid was in Jesus' Sunday school? Peter. So the Lord's talking to all the disciples, and Peter goes, ah, I got it, I got it. Look at verse number 67, verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we, that's a good answer. Where am I going to (laughs) go? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing on it. Brother Tim, if you'd ask the Lord's blessing on it. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me just give you a couple things by way of introduction. There's a lot of confusion about this in in the Bible and a lot of confusion about what it is that the Lord is saying in this passage of Scripture. Let me be very clear with you. The Lord is not saying that if you could physically eat his body and physically drink his blood that you'll have life. Uh, the, The reason I know that is because in verse 63, he says, the words that I speak in you, they are what? Spirit and they are life. All right, so the Lord is trying to get across, this is a spiritual thing that I'm saying, and, and, and the people that were there that got offended didn't stick around long enough to hear that. They got offended, and they walked no more with him, and the Lord goes to the disciples, a smaller group, and he goes, hey guys, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit, and they are life. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus said that I am the door, did he physically become a piece of wood that you walk through and turn a knob on? No, when Jesus said, I am the, 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 I'm the Lamb of God, did he become a physical sheep right there and go, bah, bah? No, he did not. He is speaking figuratively about something. When he says that my flesh is meat indeed, my, my blood is drink indeed, it is about something that you are going to have to consume, listen to me, spiritually. It is not a sacrament in the Bible. Understand that. But people in religion take things that the Bible says and they add to it, and they do that for the purpose of creating a system by which ye must be saved. Let me tell you right now, I don't get the grace of God by taking part of the Lord's Supper. I got the grace of God when I got saved, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm trying to clarify that what some people believe is not accurate according to the Scriptures. Uh, Understand this. God never calls it a sacrament. The Lord calls it a memorial. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you don't have to do that right now. But when you go there and you read through there and read about the Lord's Supper, he says, remember the Lord's death. As often as you do this, you remember the Lord's death looking back 
till he come again looking forward. It is a memorial of his death and burial and resurrection, his body being broken, his blood being shed for our sins, but it is not something that you have to physically partake in in order to be saved. You are not, when we do Lord's Supper, we are not telling you that that bread, that wafer, and that, that grape juice turns into the body and blood. You don't get saved by physical things. You get saved by, by, by accepting what the Lord did for you by faith. The Bible says, therefore, in being justified by faith, we have peace with God uh, uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also I have access by faith into this, by grace, into this faith wherein we stand. In other words, you have access to God by grace through faith, not through physical elements. Is this making sense? How many of you guys were raised in a church that taught you that you had to take part of the Lord's Supper and by doing that, it was part of you being saved? You had to go do it week after week after week. Anybody in here like that? Well, let me tell you right now, aren't you, uh, let me ask the question, aren't you glad that when you heard the gospel, you understood it was not dependent on something you did physically, but rather your heart, believing that Jesus Christ loved you enough to die for you, to bury, uh, be buried for you, and rise again from the dead for you? Aren't you glad for that? It was by grace through faith. It was not dependent on some physical action that you take. I want to be clear with you. In this passage of Scripture, it is misunderstood, it is misconstrued, and it is misapplied. Uh, the Lord is clear about this. I'll give you another example. Go back two chapters. Look at John chapter 4. John chapter number 4. John, I'm not picking on any religions. I grew up in a religion that taught me that. And there's some great people that, believe, that, are, that have great morals and, and live good lives. This is not an attack on anybody. I feel like today, in the day and age in which we live, a preacher has to get up and give five stinking disclaimers so people don't get offended. I'm not attacking someone, but I do want to clarify what the Bible says and what it does not say. Is that, is that good enough for a disclaimer? I'm not, I don't want to hear it offend anybody. But if you get offended with truth, that will be your choice and your response from you to God, not me. Look at John chapter 4, John 4. And notice that this is a passage we went through in Sunday school, uh, going verse by verse in the Gospel of John. And notice the Lord's talking about this water that he's going to give this woman. And he says this. He says, uh, uh, the water that I'm going to give you, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Is it, is it this water? Is it, is, it, is it this water? It, and you know what she does? She starts talking to the Lord about the water out of that particular well and how the, their father Jacob got water from that well and therefore uh, that means that they have, a, uh, they have access to, to the historical heritage of the nation of Israel just like the Jews did. She's a Samaritan, so she's making a, a historical, somewhat ethnic argument. And so this is going on. The Lord's trying to show her over and over and over, no, it's not about the physical water. <laughs> and eventually she gets the story. Look at John 4. And look, if you would, at verse number uh, 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him. Listen, if you're here and you're saved, you know what you did? You tried all kinds of things. Some of you tried all kinds of things out in the world. And you tried this, and you tried money, and you tried relationships, and you tried all kinds of things. You know what you realize? None of it satisfies like Jesus Christ. And there is a thirst in the soul of every man and every woman on this planet to have purpose and intention, to have meaning, to understand what it is they're disconnected from in life. And the thing you're disconnected from in life when you are not saved is God himself because your spirit is dead. It's not yet born again. There's no life. It's dead in trespasses and sins. It's like having a cell phone without a SIM card. And when you get saved, that SIM card gets inside of you, Holy Spirit gets inside of you, and all of a sudden, life turns on a different prism life shows up in a different light you see things you never saw before why because you drank of the living water 
Notice what happens here. Look at uh, verse 14. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into what? So she says, sir, give me this water. And the Lord, Lord says, hey, go call thy husband. Verse 17, I have five husbands. And he goes, yep, that's right. Uh, look at uh, verse number, oh, let's see here, down at verse number uh, 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am what? Talking about the Christ, the Messiah. You know what he's saying? I'm the water. But I'm not trying to be funny when I say it. He didn't turn into a pool of water physically there and say, drink me. It was a, a spiritual transaction that needed to take place in that woman's life. You understand? So when the Lord is speaking to these, this, this crowd, and by the way, the reason this crowd is gathered as they have in John chapter 6, you can go back there. The reason that they have gathered in John 6 is because earlier in the chapter, the Lord feeds uh, 5,000 plus people, and he feeds them miraculously. And he takes those five loaves and those two fishes, you know the story, and he breaks them and blesses them and gives to all the disciples to break out. And from there, they give to all the people and everyone is physically fed that day. It is a miraculous event that addressed a physical need in their life. And by addressing that physical need, the Lord was able to reveal his power and who he was as the son of God. By addressing their physical need, he was able to show them, hey, you've got another need. So then the next time they come around, look at... Uh, Oh, verse number 24. Look at verse, John chapter 6, verse number 24. Just to give you a little bit of an idea. And by the way, I want to be very clear this morning. If you're here and you're not saved, you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It, it, you can't be a disciple until you first get saved. We live in a day and age where churches blur the line so much and they'll say things like this. If you're here and you want to follow Jesus, raise your hand. Okay, then pray with me and, 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 and ask Jesus to help you follow him. That's not the prayer that you need to pray if you're lost. If you're lost, you know what you need to do? You need to put your faith in the, what the Bible says is the gospel, and the gospel is that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again. That's what's going to save you. And if, you need, if, you, if there's a prayer, we call it the sinner's prayer, call it whatever you want to. It's you saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. I know I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve you, but you love enough to die for me. I trust you as my, I lean on what you did for me to save my, that's what's going to save you. Now, after that, now that you are saved, if you're saved, now it's a matter of whether or not you want to follow Jesus Christ and, listen to me, be a disciple. Uh, notice in John chapter 6, uh, look, if you would, at verse number uh, 20, 22, I'm sorry, 22. The day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus was not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, Howbeit, there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh to the place where they did eat bread. There's that miracle. After that, the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. You know what this shows? This shows some interest on their part to follow the Lord. But I want to show you right away that the Lord questions. Look at verse number 26. And this is something that's very important to pay attention to. He says, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. In other words, the Lord from the very beginning is trying to say, look, you, I, I'm, not, I'm not just here to be Santa Claus. I, I'm not just here to fill a physical need. Yes, I did that miracle, but you've got a deeper need. And this is the, the very event that kind of spawns this conversation where he starts speaking of himself in regards to his body being like bread and his, his blood being like, like, like the, the wine that they would drink at the Passover and that correlation. This is the backdrop to it. So when the Lord starts speaking about these things, you know what happens? Some people get offended. Some people don't like it. And let me just say this, the Lord doesn't apologize for it at all. 
You know, the, the, the word disciple is an interesting word because it, it, it implies there's some discipline in your life to, to do what? To follow the Lord. In Acts chapter 11, does it not say the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch? You know what that means? There were people that were disciplining themselves to follow the Lord. And, and you know, I think one of the hardest things as a pastor and as a church sometimes is you watch someone, they get saved or they get right with the Lord. They start growing. They maybe even come to discipleship class. They, they start uh, taking the steps that God says they should take and allowing the spirit of God to lead their life. And they start growing and they start seeing other people get saved. I've seen some people that get saved in our church and they reach out to their family and they come. They reach out to their friends and they come and they get saved. And then six months, a year, two years later, somewhere something happens. And they go, I'm done. That's heartbreaking. Now, now, let me just say this. I said it in Sunday school. I'm going to say it again. It, it, the Lord does not lose his power because we quit doing what we should. The, the Lord does not move off of his position on the throne because we decide we're no longer going to be following him. I want you to understand when you quit following the Lord as a believer, and if you're not saved yet, that's step number one. But as a believer, when you quit following the Lord, there's a reason that you quit following him. And I believe in this passage, there's a couple things you can look at in those that were there then that you can see as a pattern. Now, now think about this. I want you to remember that over in uh, Luke, you don't have to turn there, but over in Luke, Jesus, uh, it's not the shortest verse in the Bible because the shortest verse everybody knows John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Very powerful verse, by the way. But this is the second shortest verse in the New Testament. Here's what it says. Remember Lot's wife. What, a, what an interesting thing to say. And you know what, he, you know what he's talking about? He's, he's talking about, hey, don't, don't turn back. What did Lot's wife do? No one knows her name. She's just Mrs. Lot. What did Mrs. Lot do? Mrs. Lot turns back. And the Bible says she became a pillar of salt. That was the end of her story. You say, why is that such a big deal? It's a great picture of something. Sometimes when you turn back to where the things that God brought you out of, it is the end of your story. No one talks about Lot's wife except for to say, don't be like her. I mean, what an amazing, I'll say this right now. I've decided a long time ago, I'm probably going to be someone's sermon illustration somewhere. I might as well be a good one. I mean, your life is noted. People watch you. If you're a child of God, they note that. They say, that's a Christian. That's a believer. They are watching you. And, and, and the Bible says here that when the disciples heard this word that Jesus gave, they were offended. And the Bible says in verse 66 of chapter 6, 666, there were some that not, walked no more with him. You know what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The most important thing in your life, if you're a born-again child of God, it's not even, listen to me very carefully, we're going to talk about the church next week, and I'm, I'm a believer that the church is God's vehicle to get his work done today. But I'm going to tell you right now, your most important thing in your life is not even your church. It is ex- expressed through your church, so it's connected. But you know what the most important thing is in your life? Oh, to be a witness for God. No, that's not it either. Oh, the most important. Oh, to give. When I, I come to church, I give money, and that's the most. No, that's not the most important. The most important thing in your life is your fellowship and your walk with Jesus Christ. And when things don't go right and things get all out of order in your life as a child of God, it's not because you lost being God's child. You didn't quit being his kid, just like my kids can't quit being my kids. There are birth certificates with my last name on my kids. They're not getting out of it. Amen. They may try, but they're not going to. You say, why? Because my DNA is in them. My name is on them. (laughs) 
So they're not going to quit being my kid, but boy, oh boy, they can do some things that break fellowship with dad. Your most important treasure in your life is your walk with God. It is not what others think of you, it's what God knows of you. And in John chapter 6, the Bible describes for us a group of people that are following the Lord, and they do that up to a certain point. Now, the apostle Paul says this, uh, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. It is a good thing to follow someone else who's following the Lord. But let me tell you right now, the Lord wants you to directly follow him first and foremost. Because if you can do that, you will eventually follow others who are also following Christ. The, the order is God first, people next. You know what the first and great commandment is? Love the Lord thy God. Second, love thy neighbor as thyself. And, the, uh, and, and it's just like in the first. You say, we say what, what, what's, why is that important? Because today, in today's society, we have it backwards. Uh, everything is about making sure people like me and everyone's happy and I don't offend anybody. And, and if I can get that right, then God, you're next. That's not how it works with God. If you're a child of God, you know what your first priority is? It's to know where Jesus is at and follow him. It's not to say, God, here's what I'm doing. I hope you can catch up later. The Bible says that, that Jesus went after he gave that lesson. He sits down with those disciples. He goes, will you also go away? I love Peter's answer. Lord, where will we go? To whom shall we go? I think if the Lord ever came to you and said, are you going to go away too? You know, some of you can have friends that quit walking with God. Some of you have family members that quit walking with God. Some of you are going to have, uh, listen, uh, Christians that you look up to, they're, they're going to quit walking with God. I've known pastors that, listen, if tomorrow I quit the ministry and I got bitter at God or something like that, some crazy thing, man, you know what you ought to do? Say, well, pray for him, but we're not quitting. <laughs> because my faith was not in Pastor Adrian, it was in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Can I, t- I tell you about discipleship? I, I think this, one of the things that I would say if I were to describe discipleship in a, in a sentence, I would say it like this. It's the Lord trying to get you beyond you. You see what I mean by that? Well, that's why things happen in your life that make you feel weak. Because when you're strong, you do everything on your own and you don't need God. And, and God's purpose in the life of a believer is to get you beyond you. <laughs> there are things that you naturally are good at and God can use that. But let me tell you right now, there are times when your strength gets in the way of what God's trying to do in your life. You know what the Lord is concentrating to do? Take you beyond yourself and bring you, listen to me carefully, to the other side. Look at Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter 8, look if you would at verse number 18. When Jesus saw the multitudes, great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the what? And a certain scribe came and said to him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Wherever you go, Lord, I'll be there. I'm a child of the 80s. You know what I remember? My buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. Anybody remember that? Raise your hand. Don't make me look stupid. Thank you very much. I thought somebody was just going to stare at me and go, nope, you're on your own, this one. <laughs> All right, kid sister or kid sister, same thing, right? Wherever I go, L- listen, the, the, Jesus uh, wants you to be wherever he's at. This scribe says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. We're going to test that. Here's how the Lord tests that. Jesus saith unto him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the son of man hath not where to lay his head. Whatever happens to that guy? As far as you read, it's the end of his story. Another guy comes, and you've heard this quite a bit lately. The guy goes, uh, let, me, let me bury my dad. My dad died. And I've said this before, and I mean it. If one of you guys called me on a Sunday morning and said, hey, pastor, I can't make it to church. My, my, family, my dad passed away. i got to be with my family. I wouldn't be like, then you're not worthy of New Heights Baptist Church. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but I'll tell you this. The Lord looked in the eyes of that man. He saw something. What he saw in that man was this. 
I know that this is a big deal, but I also know you, and I know your thoughts, and I know what makes you you. That's what the Lord can do in our lives, right? And he goes, I know the problem with this is you're nev- it's never going to be over. Next week, you know, the, your cousin's sister's dog's cat's friend or whatever is going to have something else, and it's going to be something else and something else, and, and the problem is you don't, you'll never put me above your family. So he says, look, you take care of your dad. We're going to keep going. You say, why is that so important? Well, re- look at the rest of the chapter. Go, go down. Kind of, if, if, it's, if your page ends at the beginning of the chapter, kind of read through there and kind of find out what happens. You know what eventually happens? The, the Bible speaks of the fact that the, the, the disciples are, are put in a boat and, and the Lord stills that, that storm, that great storm that takes place. And the Lord comes in there and says, peace be still, and that water becomes tranquil and becomes smooth. And, and let me just say this. Those two men that came to the Lord with their reasons why they wanted to follow him, but guess what? They never got to see that. Question, did Jesus have any less power because those two men didn't follow him? Nope. Did they miss out on the opportunity? Yes. When Jesus gets to the other side, keep reading if you would. When Jesus gets to the other side, immediately the Bible speaks of two men that meet him. And these two men, one of them you know very well in Mark, is called the Maniac of Gadara. And, and, and you know that when he gets off that boat, those, those demon-possessed, devil-possessed men flood him. They run toward him, and they start saying, you know, it's, it's before the time. Why are you tormenting us? And long story short, the Lord heals those men of those devils. And the Bible speaks of that man, that maniac of Gadara, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. You say, man, that just shows the power of God. Yeah, it sure does. You know what it shows, too? Those men that decided to stay on the other side, they wouldn't follow the Lord and go to the other side, they missed out on that. Let me just say this, the Lord wants to take you to the other side as a disciple. But in your life, you're going to have to decide what matters more. Over there in the Old Testament, you, you might remember that there's a story. Now, maybe you don't, maybe you've never read it before. This is the benefit of reading the Old Testament. There's so many stories in it. The Bible says that things are written a time, written for our learning. There's a story about an old prophet and a young prophet. The young prophet goes and does a great miracle before a king, and the king goes, I'm going to give you money, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you whatever you want. You know, da, 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 da. Hey, whatever you want, it's yours. And the guy goes, nope, can't do it. God said, I need to go home a different way than I came, and I'm not to eat bread, not to do this, not to do this, and I know that God's word is right. I know you're the king and you're in authority, but God's word is higher than yours. Therefore, I'm going to follow God. And so that young man went, and as that young man went, eventually an older prophet said, hey, buddy, I I know God told you you can't do this, you can't do that, but I'm a prophet like you are. I want you to come to my house. And No, no, I shouldn't do it because God said to do it. No, no, but but I'm a prophet like you. Just come with me. And the Bible says that he brought, listen to me, he brought the young man back with him. I think the wording there is particular for a reason. Because when you go against God's direction, you're going in the wrong direction. Do we not say that Jesus, I mean, when I, I, I took my kids to the Southlands a couple weeks ago, and every time I pass that thing, all I can think about is Jesus Christ. There's only one way, Amen. <laughs> There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ. Don't we tell the world there's only one way. There's only one path to God. I'll never forget. I know I've told the story before, but Brother Billy Haas, back in the 90s, my old pastor goes to the post office and starts witnessing this lady. And this lady goes, "Uh, Preacher, I know you're going to tell me there's only one way, but how did you get here? Well, I came down Comanche Village Drive, and I I came down the hill and went this. Yeah, well, I came from Countryside. I took 85, 87. I came in this way. And we both arrived at the same place. See, you don't have to go through Jesus. There's many paths to God. You know his response was, lady, when you die, you don't go to the post office. 
You're going somewhere a whole lot more important than that. There's only one way, is there not? Well, let me ask you this. When you get saved, does it quit being that way? Or is there only one way that's right? Is there only one way that, that leads you closer to God? So let me say this. When you get off that one way, which direction are you going? Hmm. I think there's some reasons why these disciples in John chapter 6, if you want to go back there, I believe there's some reasons why they quit. I believe there's some reasons why they went back. I am so thankful that my Savior, as the Bible says, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says he went a little further and fell on his face. I'm glad that when Jesus had the opportunity to go back and go, ah, these people are a mess. I don't think I want to like be separated from God and, and have the, the wrath of God poured out on me and have the sin of mankind and, and become sin. I don't know that I want to do all that. I think I'm good enough. I lived a sinless life. So, I mean, I'm ahead of everybody else in the human race for the last, you know, a couple thousand years. Uh, uh, Father, uh, what, are we good yet? Are we good? Can we just call it a day? I'm glad the Bible says he went a little further and he fell on his face. I'm glad he didn't just look for the back door. How do I get out of this? You know what a lot of Christians are doing today? Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forget you. Lord, I'm going to follow you all the way. Uh, this is the, I'll, never, I'll die in this church. I'm going to die in my Bible. I'm going to follow him all the way. And, and, you know, sometimes something happens. Life happens. And, and let me just say this. I, I believe the reason why number one, some of these disciples quit following the Lord is because the Lord is controversial. You know, the Lord isn't, he's not going to make everyone happy. Everybody happy. The, the Lord is going to say, look, this is what is true. This is what is right. And it is dependent on you to take it or leave it. It is up to you. But notice if you would look at verse 41, John chapter 6, uh, verse number 41. Uh, notice what happens here. The Bible says, uh, the Jews then murmured at him. There's murmuring about what he's saying. Uh, look at verse 42. Is not this the son of Joseph? There's a division right there. Is he the son of God? Is he the son of Joseph? Look at verse 48. Jesus doesn't let off. I am that bread of life. Look at verse 51. I am the living bread. You would think that once he understands there's controversy, he would just kind of back off and change the rhetoric a little bit. But he doesn't do that. The Lord doesn't back off from controversy when it's truth. (laughs) When it's true and it's right, he says, this is what it is, and I'm going to present it to you. From here on out, it is up to you what you do with it. Listen, I never read in there where the Lord, after he talks to Peter, and Peter gives that confession, where the Lord goes, guys, I'm really sorry. I really thought we had a good thing going. Man, the church is really growing. People were coming. Thousands were coming. They were excited. They came back. I mean, listen, it's one thing when you have thousands of people show up for one service. It's another thing when they chase you on a boat and find you and follow you and go, Lord, what do we have to do to follow you? And then you've got to give them this message. Couldn't you have picked another message? Couldn't you have picked, like, I don't know, like, uh, God loves you or something like that? Why did you have to say these words? You know why he had to say those words? He's drawing a line right down the middle. Who's serious about following me and who's not? Look at verse number 53. I mean, this is kind of a bomb for, someone, for people that think he's being controversial. He's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now, obviously, we know the end of the story. We understand that it's a spiritual thing, but man, living in that moment, what a, what a tough thing to hear. Look at verse 55, and that's, whoa, <laughs> For people that, that were already expressing, we're having a hard time with what you're saying, he doesn't let off. Uh-uh. In verse 57, he says, if you eat me, you'll have life. Look at verse 60. This is a hard saying. 
that's where it'd be like, okay, let me clarify. I really didn't mean that. I really kind of meant this. Let me just... Here's a question. Why do you suppose the Lord, with that big crowd of people, many of his disciples no more walked with him that left that day? Why do you suppose he didn't... Hey, guys, you missed it. It was spiritual in nature. Come back. I'll tell you the rest. Why doesn't he do that? You ever ask yourself that? Do you ever read your Bible and put yourself in the story instead of just reading through it to get through it? And as you're reading through it and you put yourself in the story, you're like, Lord, why didn't you do that? You know, you know why? I, I think what the Lord wants to see is people who are willing to stick around even when they don't have all the answers. You say, what's that called? Uh, faith. Well, what's going to happen? And if I do this, what's going to happen? And what are they going to think of me? And, and, and this group says this, and they're murmuring. And, and, and if I hang around Jesus, I'm going to be kind of an outcast. And it's kind of controversial. Yes, he is controversial. I mean, he is the way, the truth, and life. That's a statement that you can't get away from. Uh, look at John chapter number 7. John chapter 7. Can I show you something about the Lord's ministry? Uh, the Lord is not for the purpose of dividing us or, or separating us from things that are good for us. But it's for the purpose of drawing us to him that the Lord sometimes allows that controversy, allows that division to be there. Look at John chapter 7. Look, if you would, at verse number 38. John 7, verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Why? He put the eternal over the temporary. Uh, A man, a missionary that was traveling the world, went and saw the, the couple tombs while he was in Egypt. And one of the tombs was uh, the tomb of a man named William Borden, who was heir to the Borden Dairy uh, 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 Company and Corporation and Estate. And that man, William Borden, this is the late 1800s, that man, William Borden, uh, denied. He said, I, I don't want that. I'm going to pursue being a missionary in Egypt. He died at the age of 25 from spinal meningitis. And the world has since forgotten about him. And if uh, you could go there, you might find what this, this missionary found a number of years ago. Uh, on this crowded street with trash everywhere, right around the corner is the tomb of this, this man, William Borden, and it's, it's grown over with weeds, and it's kind of dirty over there, so they brushed it off, and they looked at it, and, and they read the epitaph there, and, you know, and something that the world would look at and say it's not that big of a deal. In, in the same city, they went to the tomb of Tutankhamun, the pharaoh that died at the age of 17, and he died with his golden chariots and his golden tablets and his golden coins and had all these possessions with him. And you know where they stayed? Right there in that tomb. Isn't it interesting? What a contrast. You know, you know what? God knows William Borden. You know, that, you know where that Pharaoh is right now? According to the Bible, not my opinion. You know where he's at right now? He's in hell. Not because he wanted riches, but because he never trusted the one true God. He was God to himself. There's a lesson there. When you make your life all about you, you know what you're saying in so many words? I am God. You know, there, there's, there's something to be said about looking beyond where you're at right now. If I could say something about in the secular world, I, I have a business that recruits people and we interview people all the time. You know, I've learned there are people that will, now don't get offended with me, just hear me out. There are people that will, every six months, they go from one job to the next. You know where they're at when they're 50, 60 years old? They're not making a whole lot more than where they started. Are you hearing me? You know why they did that? Something was better over here, over here, over here, over here, over here. Instead of saying, but I'm looking beyond this. Where will I be in 10 years? Where will I be in 20 years? Christian, let me ask you a question. If you lived your Christian life 
every day like you've been living it, where will you be in 20 years? What will you have to show for it at the, at the judgment seat of Christ? You, you know why some of these disciples went back and they walked no more with him? Because they were there for the show and they were there for the food, but they weren't there for Jesus. Look at verse number 64, John chapter 6, verse 64. You know, the moral of the story today is this. If you're walking with the Lord, I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Yesterday, we did a 5K. You know what they had? At all the corners, they had people that going, you're doing great. You know, and here I am, you know. Because my, my blew up my Achilles tendon months ago playing basketball. I, was, you know, I, I jogged a little bit, but I had Addie and Jake, you know, they were my running partners, you know, and kind of doing like this, you know, and there you're doing great. I felt like such an idiot, man. You know where I want to be? I want to be in the front, running that thing all the way, but I couldn't do it. So here I am. But I love the fact that around every corner, there's some people that are going, keep going. You know what I want to do if you're doing right today? Keep going. <laughs> I want you to know, even if you're hobbling along, keep going. And if you're at the point where you're going, I'm not sure that I want to keep going. I want to warn you, and I want you to understand that your story will end right there. Because once Jesus moves on, his story goes on. And there stops right there. Look at John 6, look at verse 64. But there are some of you that what? I guarantee if you pull them aside and say, do you believe? They'd say, yeah, of course I do. But their actions would eventually speak louder than their words. You know why some people walked no more with them? Because their faith was out of convenience. As long as God is working within my parameters. I'm going to say something to some of you, and I love you. Don't get mad at me. Some of you are control freaks. And you want to control everyone around you, including God. And you'll put God in a box and say, God, if you work this way, we're good. You know what God's going to tell you? I love you. Those aren't my conditions. Can I say I believe that some of it was because some of these people were discouraged? If I were to look at one thing that takes out more Christians than anything else, you know what I would say? It's not drugs. It's not, you know, a lustful life. It's not, you know, perversion. It's not, and those things happen. But I would say for most Christians, you know why most Christians quit? They get discouraged. There's a failed expectation. There's something that they thought would go a certain way, and it doesn't go that way. And because of that, they go, well, if this is how it's going to be, John Mark goes on his first missionary trip with Paul and Barnabas. And it's all exciting. Everybody's really excited about going. They can't wait to see, and man, I just can't wait to see what God does on this trip. John Mark's a young man. He's packing his iPhone, his iPad, and his you know, AirPods and his Bible, and he's packing his stuff and his granola. And, you know, if he's a gym rat, he takes his creatine or whatever, his powder, and, you know, does that stuff. And he throws all that beef jerky, you know, flaming hot Cheetos. I got you now. Okay, all right. So he, he's packing his bag, right? And he's taking this with him, and he's all excited about this trip. And then he sees that there's this sorcerer, and there's this confrontation, and there's this controversy between Paul and this, this man that's practicing witchcraft, and it kind of freaks him out. He goes, well, if it's going to be like this, I don't know that I want to be here. Now, we know, thankfully, John Mark gets a second chance, but you know what I think happened with John Mark? I think he got out because of discouragement. You read the story about, you know, he said, why, why would you think these disciples are discouraged? Well, if you go back to verse 41, verse 42, there's people arguing about what, what Jesus is saying. You know, sometimes just being exposed to confrontation and strife makes some people go, I don't want to be around anything. I'm gone. If there's any controversy, I'm just out of here. I'm, I can't do it. I got enough discouragement in my own life. Remember the story of Elijah 
And he faces off with the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them. I mean, Elijah had a backbone. He had a backbone, gentlemen. You know, they're, they're coming out there with all the flags and all the stuff. And if you're not on our side, then you're not one of us. And he says, I don't care what you say. I'm standing for the one true God. Man, fire falls down from heaven. And there's a, a looks like there's going to be a revival that breaks out. And, and they go and they slay the prophets of Baal. You would think at that point the nation of Israel would turn around, but they don't. And because of that, Elijah runs. You know what Elijah realizes? What did I just waste all that time doing? What was all that about? And that's when the Lord shows up and goes, Elijah, what, I love the way the Lord shows up. What are you doing here? And Elijah goes, well, in case you didn't know, let me tell you what just happened. If Elijah was Elias in, in Spanish, but let me tell you what happened, okay? All right. <laughs> you know what you know Elijah does? Eli- Elijah looks at God and he goes, let me tell you what's going on. I stood up for you when nobody else would. I'm the only one. They're all against me. I tried doing something. It didn't work out. I'm done. And what's funny is the Lord asked him that twice, and he says the same thing twice, back to back. You know, I think God, Elijah, what's got some of you, and you're a step, some of you might be a step away from going, ah, I want to encourage you back away from that step. I know you've heard this before, but quitting is a permanent problem to a temporary solution. You've got a temporary situation in your life. You know what you need to do? Stop thinking about quitting. You know what? Some of you are, you're discouraged. Let me tell you right now, when you don't sleep and you're not feeling right and your head's messed up and you're depressed, and you should not make any quick decisions in that moment of time because they're probably not going to be good ones. Jesus looks at this crowd and he sees some of them. He can just see the look on their face. I've watched it before. I've watched people come to church and they sit down and they go, where am I? I'm used to going to church where there's like 40 minutes of singing and like a 15-minute sermon. (laughs) And it seems to be backwards here. (laughs) And some people say amen, and, you know, they're kind of obnoxious. And, I mean, this guy is saying things I don't know that we should say, and I just don't know. I can just see a look on their face like, I was trying to find the other church on the other side of the other bank. (laughs) You know, like if there was that. Uh, You see what? Discouragement. Christian, some of you had in your mind things were supposed to go a certain way in your life and they didn't go that way. And so you know what you are, you're discouraged. And if you're not careful, that discouragement will turn into a hardening of your heart to where you say, well, then I'm just gone. I, I oftentimes think of people in the Bible who suffered from this. You know, I think about, I think about Moses trying to lead a million people through a wilderness. Talk about a large church. Oh, everyone thinks they want a church that's large until you got one. (laughs) He had a million people. And he's trying to feed these people. and He's trying to lead them. and He's trying to talk to God for them. And every other week, it's like, you want us dead. He's like, I'm tired of this. Every other week, every time they have an argument, they yell at him. We could have, we should have died in Egypt. You know, if I was Muslim, like, then go back to Egypt. (laughs) That's what I would have said. You know, you know what Moses experiences? Loneliness and discouragement. So much so that when the Lord speaks to him about how to handle a certain situation, he blows it, listen to me, and it keeps him out of the promised land. You know where that started? I'm just frustrated with where things are at. 
Can I, can I tell you this? Quitting on the Lord does not make that situation better. Oh, listen carefully. You might get some temporary relief from that pressure, but it's going to be temporary and short-lived. You know, when you were lost without Jesus Christ, this is a hard saying. Here we go. You know the Bible says about you in John 8? Spiritually, your father was the devil. He was mine too. Okay, so we're like distant cousins or something like that. <laughs> like that was where I was at before I was saved. He wasn't your enemy though. He was your father. You know who was your enemy before you were saved? God. You know who your father is now that you are saved? God. You know who your enemy is now? The devil. Can I ask you a question? If you had to pick between which you'd rather have as your enemy, who would you pick? The one that wins in the end or the, ro- the loser? I, I'd, rather, I'd rather pick the devil as my enemy than God. You understand? And even after you're saved, listen, when you're walking with the Lord and you experience discouragement, I, I love the story in the Old Testament about David. The Bible says that, man, these men that were discontent and discouraged and in debt and all the D words, you know, and the, all the, these men that were basically the, the, the refuse of society, the offscoring, they come and they find refuge in David and they become David's mighty men and David becomes their leader and their example and he feeds them and he loves on them and they have times of prayer together and they have battles together and then one day they find that the women and children were, were kidnapped and all of a sudden, in just a moment of time, they went from, David, we love you, David, you're the best, David, we love you, we're going to follow you all the way to ah, David you're dead man you know the Bible says the day about David the Bible says that the people spake of stoning him the very people he had saved and the Bible says this it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord I think church is good because you get encouragement I'm going to tell you something right now there's going to be some things happening in your life where you're not going to be at church when they take place and you have to learn to do, encourage yourself in the Lord. Let me give you this in closing. Look at John chapter 6. Look, if you would, at verse number 67. Let me tell you something. Um, there's only one spicy chicken Chick-fil-A sandwich. Okay? Uh, you can you, uh, you can go to Wendy's and get a spicy chicken sandwich, right? But it ain't the spicy chicken. Chick- uh, Abe, thank you. I thought we were going to have a church split right now. I can see, see someone grabbing some stones out of their chair, getting ready to throw them or something. If you like Wendy's, God bless you. I'm not against you. I'm just saying there's nothing like a Chick-fil-A. Chi- you know why there's nothing like it? I'm going to tell you right now. Here's the secret sauce. They bathe that stuff in sugar. <laughs> The other white devil, right? They bathe that stuff in sugar. It's amazing. So, so look, when you, when you go and you go to McDonald's and go, I want a spicy chicken, they're not going to give you what you get at Chick-fil-A. Why? There's only one place to get it. Amen. And they say, my pleasure there. <laughs> not, uh, <laughs> what you want? <laughs> I better move on. I'm going to get in trouble here, but... You know what the problem was here? Some of these people listen to me. They didn't realize that what you find in Jesus can't be found anywhere else. Look at verse number six. You know what I pray for these young people? I pray that they don't hear this and then leave 
and in their early adulthood go, I wonder if it is better out there. Let me tell you, you will not find hope and forgiveness and restoration and love and redemption and restoration. You won't find any of that stuff out there. You're going to find it in in, in Christ and in his people. Look at John chapter 6. Look, if you would, at verse number 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, we also go away. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You know what he's saying? Go? Where would we go? You've got everything that we need. Lord, you're it. You know why others leave? You know why some disciples, you know why some believers today will come to church, get right with God, start growing, and then all of a sudden, you know why? Because they go, oh, well, Jesus is everywhere. He'll go with you everywhere if you're saved. There's no doubt about that. But you and I both know there's something about when you're walking with God that the fullness of his presence is sensed and felt that it's not like other days and moments in your life. Can I get a witness? Can I point out that those disciples, listen carefully, they left an assembly of disciples. Where did they go from there on out to get the truth? You don't read about it. Everything you have to guess about is exactly that. It's a guess from there on out. Here's what I can tell you. Their story ends. Why? Because they thought, Jesus, well, I can find him later. You know, some of these disciples didn't follow Jesus all the time. You know what they would do? They'd wait until Jesus came around to their village. But there was a difference between those. It wasn't me, right? All right. We got babies' alarms going off in here. Well, I'm going to go and get her. You finish the sermon, okay? All right. There, there were some that basically said, you know what? I'll get to the Lord later. Some of you may have heard this before. I thought it was pretty profound. There's a man named R.U. Darby. He was caught up in gold fever and uh, came to Colorado in the 1800s from out east, I believe in Pennsylvania, Maryland, maybe Maryland, I think it was, Williamsburg, Maryland, and uh, came to Colorado looking for gold and found a nugget of gold. Went panning, went mining, found it. Went back home to Williamsburg, Maryland and said, hey, look, I just need some investment to buy the machinery to get the stuff out of the earth and that, man, we can make a big deal out of this. We can make a lot of money and you'll make money, I'll make money, we'll all be rich. And uh, anybody ever heard this story about this guy? And, and this man, R.U. Darby, oh, went, out, went out west, came out here to Colorado and started his thing. And man, they, had it, they, had a, uh, 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 they found a, a few deposits and they kept going, kept going. All of a sudden, it went dry. They couldn't get any more gold. They couldn't get any more ore. Nothing out of the earth that was of value. And so eventually, you know what that man did? That man in deep debt said, I can't keep going into debt. I can't do this anymore. I thought I had it, but it wasn't what I thought it was. And he quit. He sold his equipment to a junk man, someone that paid pennies on the dollar for it and that junk man brought in an engineer and said man what happened with this place and that engineer went in there the problem is we don't always call the engineer that engineer came in there and he said when he got in that cave he said you know what the problem is uh, sometimes because of fault lines in the earth those veins of gold will shift and so they've been going this way you're only three feet away and that junk man made millions of dollars And when that man, R.U. Darby, found out about what had happened, he realized I was only three feet away from gold. You know what he did? He quit too soon. You know something you're going to realize when you get up there? I was only a few feet away from gold. Street of gold. It'll last forever and ever and ever. I was just a few feet away. 
Peter at the end of the Gospel of John says, I go a fishing. You say, what is he doing? He's going back to what he knows. He's going back to what he knows. Discouragement, different things settled in his life, and he goes, I go a fishing. And what Peter realizes, there's no replacing Jesus. He starts fishing, and he tries to find the joy in what he used to find joy in. You Christians ever try to go back to stuff you used to do and just say, this is not the same? And he goes, this is just not the same. And all of a sudden, John goes, I think that's the Lord on the shore. And without skipping a beat, without hesitating, he jumps in the water. Why? Because there's only one Jesus. Christian, can I encourage you? Can I, can I be kind of like those people at that race yesterday? I just want to encourage you, keep running your race. Can I encourage you not to quit too soon? Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would help us, Lord. Lord, help us to understand, Lord, the, what we miss out on by not following you. Lord, the blessings, the miracles, the fullness of your presence, your leadership, the comfort and confidence that comes from you. Lord, this world is literally dying around us. Well, let, let us not be fair weather friends. I'm thankful for your grace and thankful for your mercy but Lord I I want to be there to see you work I want to I don't want to miss out I don't want to miss the boat with every head bowed and every eye closed I will respectfully ask that we refrain from going to the bathroom and just be still for a little bit this is time for people to hear from the Lord and talk to him I have decided to follow Jesus until he doesn't work out the way I expected him to. I've decided to follow Jesus until this relationship falls apart humanly. I've decided to follow Jesus until it costs me a, my job. I've decided to follow, listen, the, the point is, if you really want to follow the Lord, and you don't want to miss out, don't turn back. No turning back. No turning back is not always going back to sin. You know what it is sometimes? Just going back to your own way of doing things. Going back to your expectations rather than God's. Going back to fill in the blank. Whatever you are versus whoever God is. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask this question. If you're here and you've never been born again, I'll ask it this way. If you're saved and you know you're going to heaven when you die and you know what it means to have the Holy Spirit in His presence, you could raise your hand today and say, yep, I'm a child of God. I'm a born-again believer. And that's the majority of hands in this place. Well, let me ask you a question. If you're here and you're not saved and you couldn't raise your hand, what would keep you from trusting Christ? Is there anyone here that would be honest enough to say, yep, I want to follow the I am, the door, the way, the truth, the good shepherd, the bread of life, the water of life. 
There's no replacing him. I want to know him as my savior. I want to, I want to, I don't want to have the doubt of my eternity hanging in the balance. I'm lost. I'm not sure that I, the heaven is my home, but I'd like to be sure that if you're here with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, would you be honest enough to raise your hand and say, yep, that's me. Preacher, would you pray for me? I won't point you out. I won't drag you down here. I can't, this isn't how it works at all anyways. But I'd love to know if I could pray for you. You might say I'm religious. I believe in God, but I, I don't know that heaven's my home. I don't know what it means to be born again. And if that's you, today could be the day of your salvation. song is an Indian folk tune from a region of India called Assam. And it goes back to, Brother Kiran could tell you more about it, but there's a story about a man who was converted to Christianity among the people that were primarily Hindu. And the chief of that village brought the man out with his family and said, drop this whole Jesus thing, recant or we'll kill your kids, we'll kill your wife and long story short every time that they took the life of one of his loved ones he said I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back though the world go not with me still I will follow talk about an interest, a, a situation that you'd never forget looking at and watching Eventually, that chief goes, this is your last chance. And he says, nope, no turning back. And he also is martyred. And after that, the stillness grows in the crowd, and there's no noise, there's no talking, there's a hush that just comes over the people, and there's four bodies lying there. And that chief, with tears strolling down his eyes, realizes what he just did, and he realized this man's faith was so real to him, he was willing to lose his wife and children. And whatever that man has, I don't have that. Very long story short, that man, that chief got saved. And that whole village experienced revival because that man in that moment where he could have turned back, didn't. He said, I'll follow him all the way, even if it means death. What a testimony. Christian, I'm going to tell you right now, as, as American Christians, there's a really good chance that you're probably not going to be put in a situation where you have to choose between life and death over Jesus. But there's... I'm going to say this. One thing I can tell you is you'll have to die to yourself in order to follow him. I think it is the greatest thing in the world to be a child of God and to be able to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe it's the best life. I don't think you're missing out on anything by following the Lord. I think what happens is you end up getting that feeling from the flesh and from the world and from certain voices in your mind and, and, and really, the best life is following him and knowing him and serving him. Best thing you could ever do with your life, get saved and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here and you knew that to be true for your life, let it be known with a good and hearty amen. 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 Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And uh, if you are in discipleship, we'll meet downstairs in a little bit for our lunch, uh, and then we'll get going in class after that. Father, 
We thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, thank you for our visitors. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to open up this book. And Lord, just to consider you a little bit longer. Lord, and um, I pray that as we leave this place, you might uh, help us, Lord, to have a, um, a, a true desire to not just quit when things get hard, Lord, to, to not take off, Lord, before the blessing, to before the answers come. And I feel like that's, just, that's us, it's our nature. We want to see everything, we want to know everything right now, and instead of just being willing to follow you. And God, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that was uh, joining us today that whether they watched online or were here in person that didn't know you as their Savior, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, they'd find someone, myself, or someone in this place, or someone around them that can open up a Bible, and Lord, in, in 10 minutes or less, show them how they can have eternal life. Lord, with no strings attached. I pray this, Lord, and I pray for all the, the, those that were here as believers. They'd be encouraged and strengthened in their walk with you. They'd continue on. Lord, we love you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock.